Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for a wonderful Savior, a majestic salvation that we can boast in and we can sing at the top of our lungs without boasting in ourselves. But we can approach you and long for the day when we meet you with confidence that is not our own, but in Christ. Lord, I pray that as your word is now proclaimed or preached or heralded, Lord, I pray that it would have the desired effect of your desires, which is to increase our confidence and boast in Christ. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you've got your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we are going to begin at verse 11. Galatians 6, verse 11, we're going to start at. We're finishing the book today. Galatians 6, verse 11 to 18. Paul writing to the Galatian churches. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire that you have to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Thus far God's word. If you are not good at boasting... Paul here says you're not very likely to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't expect that you will last through your life and at the end of your life be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation. And here he addresses the question of boasting. And what we see very plainly, he does not say that boasting is wrong. He says instead that our boast would be in the Lord Jesus, in the cross of the Lord Jesus. And this is something that is played out over and over again in the church. And maybe you've noticed this yourself. And you have come to expect based on the way people talk, whether or not you expect them to endure or whether you can expect them to fall away. And you can see, as Paul will indicate here, that those who boast in themselves and who are constantly drawing their own attention to what they have done or what they have accomplished, what they have done for Christ or what they've accomplished for Christ or in the church, 
what they have not done, what they have done. You would not expect if they continue in that way of boasting, you will not expect that at the end of their life, they will be receiving a Christian funeral. But the same is true on the opposite. It is also not the desire of the Lord, and it should not be the aspiration of a Christian to not boast at all. To have no confidence and to think merely, oh, I wonder, the Lord may not love me. He won't love me. He probably doesn't love me. I don't have confidence. That is also not the goal because your friends, your brothers and sisters, that as well is putting confidence in your own self rather than in the Lord. And our goal here, as it is Paul's intention in these final verses of a letter that he writes to Christians who are very dear to him is that not that we would no longer boast, but that our boast would be a mighty boast and it would be in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his cross. We have come here then to the end of a letter that Paul has written to the Galatian churches and he has written with great affection and also with very great concern and very deep concern and warning about something that they probably thought wasn't a big deal. And now they get a letter from Paul saying that this is a matter of heaven and hell. This is a very big deal. And the Galatians had become very bored of the gospel. When they first heard the gospel, they loved the gospel. They heard that Jesus had died for their sins and that he rose from the dead for their justification. That he, by his own life and death, had saved them. Not by their own works, but simply what he had done. And that by trusting in what he has done, they have now been saved. They had been rescued. They had been brought near to God. That he loves them and that they are his children. But they had become bored of that unimpressed, uninterested in that. And because of that, they were falling prey then to false teachers. False teachers who gave them something more interesting to think about. A way to improve their standing before God. Yes, Jesus maybe got you in the door, but you got to finish the deal. You have to improve on what Christ has done. Improve on his own qualifications. You really want to just get in on Christ's qualifications? You really just want to get on what Jesus did? Don't you want a good seat at the table, not just in the nosebleed section? You don't want to just be in as a guest, do you? Don't you want to be in as a child, as a, as a real member of the family of God? And here are some ways for you to do this. And so they had to absolutely wreck the intent of the Old Testament, which is the scriptures that were delivered before Christ came to die and then rise for our sins. They are scriptures that had extra rules that governed a people for waiting for the Messiah. It marked them as people who were waiting for the Messiah. Things like food laws and circumcision for men. And they said, if you really want to secure a place in the household of God, the men are going to get circumcised Everybody's going to have to eat kosher. And also, you're not supposed to eat with anybody who hasn't. That will secure you a place in the household of God. That will improve on just getting in by faith and grace. And Paul, as we saw, goes to the Old Testament and said, you're reading it wrong. Those things never made you one of God's people. They were expected of the people of God to mark them that way, but they weren't the things that made them 
the people of God. They marked them as the people who were the children of God by faith and waiting for the one who would earn this and who would pay for their sins. Paul goes on to show that it wasn't faith that just faith, that faith that just earns you a place, but it was actually Jesus's actions. So that God counts faith and say, well, that's good. Uh, and, and I'm going to reward you for faith. That's not what it is. Jesus's actions, his life, his heart, his death and his resurrection. That is what earns you a place at the table of God. You have his qualifications and it is faith that unites you to Christ and all that he has accomplished. It makes you part of his body so that he can say this counts for these people. It makes you one with him. And so we can have confidence in our standing before the Lord because it is Christ's standing before the Lord that we enjoy and not our own. And Paul summarizes this confident, this expecting that you will have a worthy reason to be in the household of God. He summarizes that as your boast. That brings us to our first point. Boasting in the flesh prohibits perseverance in suffering. Boasting in the flesh prohibits perseverance in suffering. We'll see this in the first uh, in, in 11, 12, and 13. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to become circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Thus far God's word. So Paul summarizes the teaching of the false teachers as boasting in the flesh. There's lots of flesh going around in this passage, right? Literal and figurative. We've got lots of flesh um, being talked about. The false teachers were able to boast, they thought, because they had improved on Jesus's teaching with their own teaching. So they got a reason to boast in something about themselves. So there's boasting in their flesh that way. They were also able to have converts that were not just Christians, but also followers of their, a particular kind of Christian, my kind of Christian, the one who follows my teaching, another boast. They're also boasting in the flesh of their converts. These Galatian Christians who were following them and these followers in the Galatian church, they underwent circumcision or at least the men did. And, and they were doing extra actions and they were, thinking that it would count as a, a better standing before God. And so the Galatian false teachers could point to those things. They look what I did. Another way to boast. It's a spot in the household of Abraham as an heir rather than just a guest. And the false teachers could point to these things done by their converts and they could see the fruit of their labor. Can you see a person's faith? You can't. So these guys had shaped conversion in such a way that I can look, you can see 
I've, I can count all the people who have been circumcised. Look at those people. They used to only be, they used to, they used to have uh, of meals with people of Christians uh, uh, who, who weren't Jewish, but now they only do this way. Look at the things that I can now boast in. They could point to these things. Boasting here, as I said, means your confidence. What you would say to God, if he were to ask you why he should let you into his heaven or his family table, because you do have to have an answer for that. And the answer can't be no boast. You can't have no boast when it comes to that. It can't be that no qualifications are needed. I will just come because no qualifications are needed. You can't do that. The Bible says there are serious qualifications needed to be, ent- to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be counted as a child of God. Huge, beautiful, perfect qualifications are needed in order to be part of the household of God, the family of God, heaven. As God is clear that perfect qualifications are needed. A perfect record of perfect love toward God and a heart that is always loved and treasured God and worshiped him as God and no others. And so if that is the qualification for being part of the kingdom of God, being part of the family of God, being part of the household of God, being in heaven, which life is it that you will confidently point to and say that is worthy of the kingdom of heaven. This is worthy of a seat at the family table of God. Now you could either say that no qualifications are needed or you could boast in your own life. Maybe the consistency of your life. You can boast in that. Look, I've, I've always generally been a good person. You could boast in that. Or perhaps it's in dramatic change in your life. Maybe that's what you're going to boast in. I used to be this way, but man, look at me now. Boast. This is worthy. I expect that when I come to God and I stand before him in judgment and I present this, I'm confident he will accept it as a worthy life, worthy of the kingdom of God. Or you could boast that Christ's life, what was what he accomplished in his human flesh brought the qualifications of a worthy heir of God and that he did not earn this for himself, but he did this for you. And that in his death, he was punished because he carried your sin. And that his resurrection from the dead on the third day proved that he was the only worthy life. And Paul has reminded us, you can't have two answers. You cannot have two boasts. You cannot receive Christ's qualifications and then say, I'm going to try to improve on them. Using any new rules, old rules, new rules, whatever, extra rules as your confidence or your boast and say, this is why I can expect confidently to be rewarded when I get to heaven. Your boast and your confidence and your hope and your trust and your faith, 
they are all speaking of the same thing. What would you point to when speaking of your only hope of glory and instead, instead of receiving the wrath of God, what would be your boast? What would be your hope? Which life would it be your life? Would it be what God has done in your life? Or would it be in the life that the Lord Jesus Christ lived 2000 years ago? And the false teachers are boasters in the flesh. And this motivated, and this is motivated by, by a desire to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. This is what Paul says here. They're trying to avoid persecution and that makes them flesh boasters. Confidence in the things that they have done or in something other than the cross of Christ. Now it is said sometimes that the church should want persecution or pray for persecution. But that is a rejection of the clear teaching of the Bible, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul instructs the church to pray for the government that we would be able to live at peace as we worship the Lord. So we are not to want persecution. However, the Lord has promised the church that she would quite regularly be persecuted for the gospel, for boasting in the cross of Christ. And one of the main motivations for adding or taking away from the gospel is to avoid persecution. And it is very rarely something made up by church members. The gospel is very rarely changed to avoid persecution by the members of the church. Almost every single time, these modifications of the gospel to avoid persecution come from the pulpit from the leaders and from the teachers or those who wish to be Christian leaders, whether they're responsible for actual churches or not. And that is because the Lord has designed the church intentionally in such a way that those who lead her are most likely, not only, but most likely to be persecuted, most likely to be blamed for the preaching of the gospel, most likely to suffer for the gospel. But what the world gets, what the world gets is boasting about the flesh. That makes sense to them. That they get. False religions, even non-religious people get that. That makes sense to them. Even if the boast is slightly different, it's essentially the same thing. My hope is in what I can accomplish in my flesh. By doing A or by not doing B. The world is not always trying to get you to do bad things, but there is a constant pressure to boast in the flesh, to have confidence in the flesh. And we absolutely hate it. We naturally hate it. We don't love it when God is glorified. We absolutely hate it. And you can split the world while you can split all things into two categories, God and not God, two columns, creation and creator. And because we are part of creation, we love it when creation is glorified and boasted in. Even if it's not us. So long it's as not as it's not God. It's kind of like the Olympics. I'm going to rejoice when any Canadian wins a medal, even if it's not me. So long as it's a Canadian like me. And this is how our boasting in the flesh works. We're we're willing to put confidence in anything other than Jesus, anything other than God. 
because this comes naturally to me. This is why people worship idols. Idols are part of creation. So am I. I can worship them. My confidence can be in an idol. My confidence can be in money. My confidence can be in sex. My confidence can be in all of the created things. Anything but the creator. So confidence in the flesh makes sense to the world. And it is in direct contrast to the confidence of the gospel. And so there's a connection to those who preach the gospel in order to boast who gather followers in order to boast, who sort of modify the gospel, add different things so that they can have a particular, people are following them rather than the Bible. People who need their teaching. Just, no, I, I, need to hear it from, I need to hear it from Derek. You know, he really need to hear it from him specifically because he's something I get from him that not, see, so this is a connection to people who preach the gospel in order to boast, to make a showing and an unwillingness to endure through persecution, through suffering. And often persecution and suffering will remove all of the reasons to identify with Christ, except that he has made you right with God. Persecution and suffering often removes all of the worldly reasons why a person might want to be part of a church, except for that he Christ has made you right with God. And so if that is not enough for you, you will not endure through persecution and through suffering. And Paul has said, and we looked at it last week, you can either sow to the spirit or you can sow to the flesh. You can either feed the new life that you have in Christ, the life of a child of God, or you can feed the the old life, the life of an enemy or a rival of God. And even if it looks religious, even if it looks very well behaved, adding more rules or standards or spiritual practices, if your confidence is in anything other than what Christ did 2000 years ago, you are sowing to the flesh. Even if it looks like very good Christian behavior, you are sowing to the flesh and the flesh will not withstand temptation or persecution. And so dear brothers and sisters, Consider all the fancy ways which slick teachers have invented to increase your confidence that you know God. Those things which are not actually the gospel facts. Which is that Christ was God's son become a man. That he lived a perfect life as your representative. That Christ died for your sin, receiving all the punishment from God that you deserve that he rose from the dead and that God has promised that for all who trust in him, Christ is their righteousness. He is our standing before God. So think of all the things that teachers have added to what would give you confidence before God, hearing God, feeling God. I am wealthy. I am healthy. I come from a good family. or I know the right way to deal with COVID. If those things are part of your confidence as to how you know you have right standing with God, rather than that Christ standing before God is your standing before God. If any of those things are mixed in with your confidence, your endurance will be compromised. And one of the ways you can tell if you do this is if you find yourself judging other Christians based on those standards 
oh, I'm worried about so-and-so. Because if you say, I'm worried about so-and-so because of this, what are you saying? I'm not worried about myself. I've got confidence in myself because I don't do that. And if your confidence is mingled in with these things, you cannot expect yourself to endure unless you turn from that when the word of God tells you to turn from it. And this is what Paul is calling us to do. Turn away from practices which false teachers invent to gain more access to God, to improve on what Christ earned for his people. As if you could improve on what Christ earned. To unlock secrets. And those things do look like progress. But they are feeding the flesh. They're feeding the old man. And they are working against one of the greatest goals of the Christian. That is endurance. To be found waiting for Christ when he returns. And boasting in him alone. Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel. You see this in verse 17. He bore on his body the marks of this. And that is because his only boast, his only plea, his only confidence that he would be standing before God in righteousness was Christ. And if you have more than one boast, Christ and what you've accomplished, what you've done or not done, then you have a spare boast, you could say. Right? You've, you're hedging your bets. I have two boasts. I've got a spare one. And so that means when you are prompted to give up Christ, you have a spare boast. You'll, you'll be willing to give up Christ because you have a spare one, what you have done. But dear friend, do not be such a fool as to think you have any other boast or need any other boast, but Christ, you don't have a spare and you don't need one. Only Christ is needed and only Christ will do. Second point, boasting in the cross of Christ kills other boasts and fears. We can see this in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So first of all, we could see that Paul identifies the cross as the boast. The only boast, the cross of Christ he could have said Christ. Sometimes he does, does say Christ. Sometimes when he's talking about this. But he focuses, on, uh, focuses in on the cross of Christ. Why? Because the, the life of Christ counts as our righteousness, right? His life before he died, that does count as our righteous record. What he did is credited to you before he died. The obedient life he lived for 33 years, that is credited to you. And so in that way, we are saved by the life of Christ. And we could boast in the life of Christ. That would be good. But Paul singles out the death of Christ. Now, why is that important? Because some false teachers in our day, especially, have said that we are saved by the life of Christ because he sets for us a good example. And so we are saved by being Jesus followers, Jesus example followers, his life Follow his life as recorded in the Gospels, and, and you can see how to be saved. But, dear friends, that is really only another opportunity to boast in the flesh. Oh, I'm somebody who follows Christ. I'm somebody who takes after Christ. That is my boast. Imagine if I said, I'm so humble. I take after Ronaldo. 
I take, you know what? If you just, if you see my footballing skills, my soccer skills, you know who I take after? I'm so humble because my boast is Ronaldo. But I take after him. What am I doing? Am I boasting in him or I'm boasting in myself? It's that I take after him. And this is the kind of boasting that Paul is trying to avoid and forbidding. And when he focuses it on the cross of Christ, it eliminates that kind of boasting. Because we are not saved by following Christ's example. Christ had to be damned for us in order for us to be saved. And so we see that this is not improving our record. We don't become a Christian to improve our record by following Christ. What we do is we come to Christ to exchange records. And what happened to Christ when he bore our record? He was damned. And so what happens to us when we bear his record? We are received with joy and affection by God, our father, the way that Christ himself ought to be received. And so Paul says his crucifixion by the crucifixion of Christ, the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. If you focus on the cross of Christ, you see that your greatest need is not just self-improvement. It's not a better way to pay your mortgage. It's not a better way to have a, have a good marriage. It's not that you are sick and you need healing. Your need is that you stand before a holy God guilty. That you are guilty in God's sight. And what will happen if you meet him bearing your record is you will be damned and crushed and sent to hell. That is your problem. But that God loved you so much that he gave his son to suffer in your place. And so now you have standing before God based on what Christ has done. And so if your biggest fear is that you, that you stand before God and that God has solved that for you by giving you his son, that means God is for you. And Paul will say in the book of Romans, who then can be against you? If you settle yourself and resolve yourself to think about your standing before God and how Christ has solved that, all the other fears of the world will disappear. All the other motivations and boasts will disappear because you stand before God justified based on what Christ has done. Meditate on that. Praise him for that. Delight in that. Boast in that. Rejoice in that. And the world will be crucified to you and you to the world. Third point. The flesh counts for nothing. Only a new creation counts. Galatians 6.15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Who are those who can boast in Christ? Those who have a warranted confidence before God. What is it that commends you to the table of God? Paul says the flesh, what you have done in the flesh counts for nothing. Jewishness will not be considered. Gentileness will not be considered when God sets a family table and he seats people around that household family table. Nothing about you will be considered. When giving an inheritance to the heirs, the flesh counts for nothing, but a new creation. What does that mean? 
You needed to die with Christ and be raised to a new life, not an improved life, but a new one. You needed a new heart. And that is the possession of all who have had faith in Christ. They trust in Christ's death. They're full heirs because Christ is, and they are in him. Which leads us quickly to our fourth point. Shocked you, I think, there. Those who change this standard are to be treated as Gentiles. Those who change this standard are to be treated as Gentiles. And we see this in chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Throughout this letter, Paul has walked through all the boasts, all the boasts that the false teachers have leaned on for standing before God. Yes, of course. Yes, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But all the things that they, they add in order, in order to have confidence for standing before God. What are the things that they boasted in? Let's just walk through the letter here and we'll see how he builds up to the final absolute blow of their boasting in the flesh. Here's the first one that we can identify. We trust in Jesus and we are sons of Abraham. Remember that was their boast. We are sons of Abraham. Chapter three, Paul says, no, no, you're not. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who trust in Jesus are the sons of Abraham. And so you are not the sons of Abraham. Oh, Second boast, we have the law. We have the law of God. We have the law of God. And Paul says, you've broken the law of God. Only Christ kept the law and you deserve to be damned, to be crushed, to be cursed. Only Christ kept the law. And if you trust in Christ, his cross was him bearing the curse for you. Okay, I guess I can't boast in the fact that I've got the law. Oh, but we are circumcised. We are circumcised. Paul says, Abraham was saved and forgiven. He was declared righteous before he was circumcised. He was justified by his faith in the gospel of the Messiah. So if that's, your pers- if that's a person's confidence, then they're not saved. In fact, Paul says in Philippians that those who have faith in Jesus are now officially the circumcised. Oh, but we grew up in, here's another boast. We grew up in the household of God. We grew up there. Paul says, so did Ishmael. (laughs) And he was condemned. Oh, no, no, no. But we were born naturally. We were born naturally into Abraham's family. So was Ishmael, says Paul. And he was cast out. Isaac was born supernaturally. Born by the spirit of God, acting miraculously. And so, Those who are born by the spirit are actually Abraham's family. They are the household of God. Oh, okay. But we are citizens of Jerusalem. See where this is going. We are citizens of Jerusalem, the city of God. No, says Paul in chapter four, those who trust in Jesus, whether Jewish or non-Jewish belong to the real Jerusalem, the city of God. They are citizens in the city of God. And now, The final blow, perfectly in line with the flow of the letter. You can get concentric circles here. No, no, we are sons of Abraham. We are children. We are part of the household of Abraham. We are citizens of the family of God. We are citizens of the city of God. And then the next one you can expect is citizens of the nation of God. And what does Paul say? 
For all who walk by this rule, and by that he means the standard. And what is the standard he's talking about? That it is faith alone that commends somebody to God. You have peace. Peace to you if you believe that it is faith in Christ alone that makes you a child of God. And for anybody else, there's no peace. No peace and mercy upon those who do not walk by this rule, which is that you are a citizen in the household of God, in the family of God, in the people of God by faith in Christ alone. What about people who do not boast only in the cross and who insist that you need something else to be part of the household of God, the city of God and the nation of God, the Israel of God or God's Israel. And his message is clear. If your boast is not in Christ alone, you are not considered circumcised. You are not considered righteous. You are not considered in the family of God or the family of Abraham. You're not considered a citizen of Jerusalem, God's city. And you're neither are you considered a citizen of Israel, God's nation. But if your boast is in Christ alone, you are considered righteous because Christ was. You were considered a child of Abraham because Christ was. You were considered a member of God's household because Christ was. You were considered a citizen of Jerusalem because Christ was. A citizen of God's city because Christ was. And you were considered a citizen of Israel, God's Israel, God's nation, God's people because Christ was. You see how he flows this all through building up. And you are a new creation. You are, if you are in Christ And you've died and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And so Paul has shown from scripture that boasting in the cross of Christ, standing in him alone is what commends you to God. What gives you standing before God in the family, in his city and in his nation. And so he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. No more. We're not going to consider this an intra-church discussion. Those who insist on anything other than repentance and faith in Christ in order to treat somebody as a a full member of the household of God, those people are to be treated like Gentiles, as outsiders of the people of God, because that's what they are, regardless of their achievements, their obedience, their ethnicity. They're not members of God's household. If they add a standard other than faith in Christ to treat somebody like a Christian, so dear brothers and sisters, we are often way too tolerant of those who make additional tests of holiness, tests of who can be considered a good Christian or a bad Christian or somebody who re- really knows God. Sometimes they get more respect and treated as more mature believers. But Paul here is clear. If a person will not be corrected away from adding extra standards or trusting in extra standards for the household of God. They will not repent of new ways of dividing God's people or improving on the work of Christ. Then they are to be treated well, but they are be, to be treated as Gentiles, as strangers to the promises and covenants of God so that they can see they stand before God condemned and they will run to the only boast that will do the cross of Christ. Otherwise, they are going to wreak havoc in the church, causing dear Christians who truly do know God by faith in Christ, causing them to doubt whether they do, causing them to worry without reason. 
that perhaps they shouldn't have had confidence in the love of God and perhaps foolishly take their eyes off of Christ and try to improve on his record. That brings us to our fifth and final point. Peace, mercy, and grace belongs to those who boast in the cross of Christ. Verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul here ends with a benediction. Fancy word for a blessing. And a benediction is more than just a parting instruction. It's more than marching orders. It's actually not even a prayer. It's a blessing. It's a pronouncement of a blessing. It's things that are certainly true. Not just something that we ask God for, but something that is certainly true based on what Christ is and who we are to him. Something which is ours because of what Christ has done for us. And he says here, grace. What does grace mean? It means the favor of God. God being for your good. The affection and care of God. That God is for you. It is undeserved favor. And he says, notice that it is of Christ, the grace of Christ. See that? We can have favor with God, the attention of God upon us in a way that Christ deserves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the favor, the attention, the affection and love with which God gives to Christ? Can you just think of that? Which Christ deserves? And that is not simply something that we just pray for. It is certainly ours if our boast is in Christ. Now, why would he have said, be with your spirit? Why would he say that? Because we see from verse 17 that Paul's body has been subjected to sufferings and for the sake of the gospel. And this would have been true for the believers in Galatia. They would have been facing persecution for their faith in the gospel. And so that is why Paul here is focusing on their spirit in order to draw their attention on what cannot be lost. They can lose their bodies, but they cannot lose their souls. The body somebody can kill, but the soul God protects eternally for those who belong to Christ. You will remain Christ's and therefore you will remain God's. You have peace with God, dear friends. If your faith is in Christ, because Christ was crushed instead of you, And so it is well with your soul, with your spirit, and will be forever. So dear church, as we approach the Lord's Supper in response to the gospel, let our only boast be in Christ. That our seat at the table has nothing to do with our flesh whatsoever. But only by Christ's merits and his own death, we welcome and celebrate gladly all those who belong to Christ by faith. And so when you take the Lord's Supper, you are confessing faith in God's promise that your seat was bought and paid for in whole, not in part, by the Lord Jesus Christ. What you deserved was the wrath of God, the cross. But he took it for you. And what he deserves is to be treated as a son, as an heir. So that is yours eternally if your faith is in Christ. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward.